You know, church family, it would go, it goes without saying that we are living in some stressful days. These are truly, truly some times where one author said, these are the times that try men's souls. I don't know if you realized it, but just because we are good old Adventists, just because we have the 28 fundamental beliefs, just because we get up and we come to church on the correct day, does not negate the fact that we are gonna have trials here on this earth. As a matter of fact, the New Testament kind of reminds us of that. It simply says that it is by hook or crook, and I'm paraphrasing, that you and I will enter into the kingdom of God. That means that there will be no mistake about it, that we're gonna have to go through some stuff down here in order to make it relevant up there. Do I have a witness in this place? And you know what I'm thinking as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to truly see that life is truly short. What we do with our time is relevant for the day in which we live in. So as I was thinking, Elder, it's amazing just listening to the testimonies, listening to the worries, listening to the, the praise. I, I was kind of wrestling this week in regards to what I would preach on. And the fact of the matter is that some of us in here right now may be a little bit perturbed. <laughs> Come on now, a little bit perturbed there. You know, we're a little bit worried about how we're going to get through this thing. How we're going to pay the bill. How we're going to, the sister talked about her son who was over in Africa. How? I'm going to show you how. We get over by the word of God. That's how we've always gotten over. And that's how we're going to get over today in these last days. The text was read so eloquently, but I want to read it from the NASB because the NASB is going to set the preference for where I need to go this morning. Let us pray. Kind Father, I just ask that you would help me. Amen. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus begins the text this way, for this reason. I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It is ironic to me that Jesus begins his text with this phrase for this reason. And you have to understand exactly from a biblical context where we are in the text, Elder. Jesus begins his ministry now. He's at the beginning of his ministry. And he takes his disciples with him on the Mount of Olives. And he's in Matthew 6. We know the previous um, section there, Matthew 5. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is no other than what? The Beatitudes, come on now. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he begins the statement by saying, for this reason. Now the question that you wanna ask is why would he begin his statement with the term for this reason? Maybe he knew that where they were were not where they were going to be as they maneuver through life. 
In other words, he's setting them up for when the stuff hits the fan. For this reason, it's right there in the text. And make no mistake about it, just because you've been called does not negate the fact that the stuff will hit the fan. At some point in your life, it will come. There will be the divorce. There will be the wayward child. There will be the anxiety, the agony, the despair. There will be the up early in the morning asking the question, what doest thou here, Elijah? After coming off of his height, now he's in a cave. Has anybody ever in here been in a cave? Felt that dark despair? Not knowing how you were going to pay the bill? But let me remind you of this. The pen of inspiration says it well. She says, we need not forget anything unless we forget how we've been led what? In the past. So that same God that's speaking to his wayward disciples, by the way, white-collar crooks, blue-collar workers, they're all right here in the text. Guess what? They're sitting right here in the audience. See, if it's one thing that you would know about Pastor Dorset, Pastor Dorset keeps it 100. If we are going to make it in these last days to my young people, what young people want to see more than ever it's not what I preach on this pulpit. They want to see how I made it over. And sometimes, Elder, it behooves me. You know, sometimes we can sit here eloquently with our suits on and with our ties and with all our long skirts, knowing that somehow that God brought us from some mess from somewhere. Brought us from Linwood and Taylor. Dexter and Elmhurst. Instead of, us, instead of us eating haystacks, we used to eat everything that begins with a pig. God was able to bring us over. But here it is. Here's the thing, church family. It's interesting. He's talking to his disciples, and I'm thinking that his disciples sets the premise for where we are today. His disciples are sitting there, and he begins by saying, for this reason. And in their mind, I'm thinking they're probably asking how do we sit by and watch all of this evil take place in society? What about the mass shootings? I was on 94 going to the hospital this week, and 94 was blocked off because there was another, another freeway shooting. Eight to 10 MSP cars standing there looking for shell casings. And you know what's interesting is that we become so benumbed to this. We believe that this is how life is. But going back to the beginning, the Bible says what? It was not so. So what we have to do is not only prepare spiritually, mentally, and physically, we have to do what? We have to delve in the word of God. So the disciples are asking the questions as we are asking the questions today. How do we get by with all of this evil around us? This political madness, the strife and division, the senseless killings that take place in our neighborhoods when we're silent, the gun violence. How do we even think straight with all of this perturbed around us? We're worrying ourselves to death. When we go to the hospital, our blood pressures are not low, they're high. But there is an answer. Jesus gives it to us. Jesus says, let not your heart 
be troubled. So here it is. In these last days, what we have to realize, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jesus said it well in John 10.10. He says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now let me tell you a little bit about this thief. This thief is no ordinary person. As a matter of fact, this thief used to be Christ's subordinate. And it's amazing, if you think about this, this thief, this thief holds degrees, Elder, you can appreciate this. He has a bachelor's degree in lying. He holds a master's degree in deception and a PhD in demonomics. He's a highly educated demon. The Bible cell calls him a thief. But on the contrary, even though he is this thief, may I suggest to you that on the contrary, Jesus was no ordinary son. We are up against an enemy that is well-educated. And sometimes what really, really tickles my heart is, is that when we're in the church body, you, you oftentimes come to church or we oftentimes come to church and we get up and we give testimonies and we oftentimes talk about the enemy. That just disturbs me. You know, girl, last week the enemy had me in. No, I'm not thinking about an enemy. I serve a risen savior. The song says that what? He's in the world today. So that means, let me, let me give you a little bit of advice. Listen to me. Stop giving the enemy fuel. Stop it. Just stop. It's, it's that simple. The Bible says that he is the prince of this world. But then Jesus follows up and says what? He has nothing on me. Come on, believers. We serve an awesome God. And I don't care what you're going through today. He can handle it. You, you remember that song we used to sing? He has the whole world in his head. Literally, Ipsy, he has the whole world in his hand. So that means that all of that stuff that we oftentimes stay up about or we get on the phone and gossip about, we don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because my God is big enough to handle it. And guess what? Whatever you are going through right here under the utterance of my voice in this sanctuary, make no mistake about it, God is big enough to handle it. But the question is, will you give it over to him? See, sometimes, Elder, can I go a little bit off script? Sometimes we want to be in control. Can I just be honest? We want to be in control of that thing. We, we, want to, we want to tell him how to do it, when he's supposed to do it, and whom he's supposed to do it through. But he says, be still and know what? I am God. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, Ipsy, it's difficult for us to be still. But here's the thing. We're talking about this enemy. And remember, we're talking about exactly where the disciples are. So he begins his statement by saying, for this reason. And then the Bible begins by setting us up. Upon the earthly ministry, the Bible says this in Matthew 5.1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened up his mouth and began to teach him. And this is where we begin our text. The question is, why would Jesus instruct his disciples? Why would he instruct his disciples? Which a disciple, as you all know, simply means a follower of God. All of us in here are followers of God. 
May I suggest to you today that Jesus doesn't want us to be worried about our lives because our lives are under his care and guess what, it's under his control. So when I was thinking about this, it kind of reminds me of what Walter Kelly says. Walter Kelly says, worrying is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worrying is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities for yesterday's troubles. Mm. So in other words, there's enough trouble right now. So why would we be sitting around worrying about tomorrow when we have to get through today? May I suggest to you that in your troubles, in your worries, remember that we serve an all-powerful God. And why do we serve an all-powerful God? Because as I just referenced to, he has the whole world in his hand. Have you ever experienced God in your life? I'm talking about when you've been on your deathbed. Elder, I've had a lot of, a, a lot of incidents in my, in my um, hospital dealings when I had to deal with a lot of COVID patients. And I remember at the height of that thing, I remember when they brought out the first COVID patient on our floor. Many of us stepped back as if it was something we've never seen before because we didn't understand it. And then as we begin to go on and on, we had to go inside the rooms of the COVID patients. Perry, you know what I'm talking about in here. We had to suit up. And, 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 and I, brought, I, I, was, I was speaking to my wife one afternoon and I told her, I said, it would behoove me to be working around all of this stuff and to bring this home to my wife. I had to derobe in the driveway, in the garage, before I go in because I did not want to inflict that upon my wife. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ doesn't want to inflict anything upon his people. Why? Because he's already gerbed up. He's already gerbed up with righteousness. He's already gerbed up with truth. Guess what? He's already gerbed up with forgiveness. So here it is. When you're going through, remember that not only God is powerful, but God is present. He is all-knowing. He knows when, how, and how and through to get you through that thing. Remember what John says, and John is reminding the disciples at a time in their lives when their hearts were probably where your hearts are right now. John says what? Do not let your heart be troubled. Has your heart ever been troubled? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had that opportunity to sit down with God and just ask him why? I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago, I had to bury a cousin, died in his sleep at 41 years old of a heart attack, at 41 years old. And as I did that eulogy, I sat there and asked the question, how long, Lord? How long do we continually have to deal with these things on this side of the earth? But then I was reminded by Revelation when it simply says that there will be a new heaven and earth coming down like a bride adorned for a groom. And then I thought about it when I said Christ himself is going to wipe away all of my tears. Could you imagine Christ touching you? Wiping away your tears. I'm not talking about how grandma does it. I'm talking about how Christ does it. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to be able to have that intimacy right there with God. 
to be able to feel those hands of a wonderful God, someone that we've read about all these years, someone that we studied the prophecies about. But right then the Bible says that he's going to come down and he's going to be able to wipe away all of that pain and strife. I thought I would get an amen in here on that one. So he's going to come down and he's going to wipe away this pain and strife. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus says this in Luke 21, 26. He says, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. Don't we see that nowadays? Don't we see it? We see it. We see it. You know what I was saying to myself? Many of us in here have experienced what I call the howls of life. H-O-W apostrophe S, the howls of life. And let me give you just a quick example of the howls of lives. How long will we continue to struggle? How come the world prospers when it appears that godly people continue to suffer? How can I overcome my strongholds? Anybody in here struggling with some strongholds? Yeah. Pastor struggles with that chocolate cake. Pray for me, somebody. Trying to keep that thing together. But listen to me. What I've learned over the years of having gone through my own personal trials and error is that the house in lives, in our lives, is indicative upon four things that I want to teach you guys this morning how connected you are with God, how concerned you are with God, Mm. how committed you are with God, and get this last one, how compassionate you are about God. Let me say it again, connected, concerned, committed, compassion, the four C's. It's what God was trying to get his disciples to understand. It's what God is trying to get us to understand why the Supreme Court is steadily, steady making backdoor deals, why you and I sleep. We have to be connected with God. So how do we get over, church family? Let me, let me, let me share this with you, and I, and I make no, more, no apologies for saying this, because I think we need to hear this. Just because you are a seven-day Adventist Christian does not mean that you have a right to passage to the kingdom of heaven. Oh, let me take my time with that preacher. Let me remind you, and I have to remind my congregation of this all the time. When we're studying, it's always good to understand the importance of context. Context sets the premises of everywhere you need to go. And I was sitting with somebody the other day and she was saying, well, you know, Pastor, we worship on the right day. We eat, we do this, we do X, Y, and D. It's almost as if we have a checklist of what we're supposed to do. But let me share this. You remember over in the book of Kings why the children of Israel went into apostasy? It was because of their idol worship and their desecration of what? The Sabbath. So Ellen White teaches us, the pen of inspiration, I'll I'll say that for for my senior folk. She teaches us that what? We have to be cognizant of our history. Remember, the great disappointment was indicative upon a people who could not understand the context of the text. 
Jesus says what? No man knows the hour. They were banking on knowing the hour. That's why it's called the great disappointment because they were trying to do something that only God can do. Let not your Adventism keep you from getting into heaven. You know what will get us into heaven? Ephesians tells us what? Though you believe in God and confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be what? Make it into the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible teaches. So here it is, I had a brother who was on his deathbed. And I always give this illustration because I think it's important. This individual was not a believer of nothing. And as he was on his deathbed, I just went to the book of Ephesians and I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Unequivocally, after all of the three questions, he acknowledged yes. I simply told him that when the next resurrection comes, you will be saved in the kingdom. Now guess what, he had not had any Adventist teaching, people. But what he did has, he, he renounced his ways. If we confessed our sin, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us, did it say some? No, as a matter of fact, it said all. So it simply means that you and I have been given a gift and make no mistake about it, watch how we use that gift. Because some of us sitting here came out of the Sun Church. Ooh, did the pastor say that? Yes, he did. So be careful of how we treat people because those people are watching this church. And if we're going to get our people out of Babylon, we ourselves have to come out of Babylon. <laughs> That's what the third angel's message is. That's what the third, you do know that. The third angel's message is not necessarily talking about them, it's talking about us as well, people. Ooh, we don't like to go there. We don't like to go there, but here's the thing. God loves us. And God wants us to be saved. Anybody want to be saved in here? God is saying, that for you and I, what we have to do in these last days is we have to focus. We have to focus more on the vertical because what God is teaching us is that there is nothing that is going to get us over those humps, over those perturbed moments than our relationship with God. What does a relationship of God look like in the 21st century? Let me give you an example. A relationship with God in the 21st century is not what we read on Facebook. Who? A relationship in the 21st century is spending quality time even when the spirit doesn't want to. You ever have those moments where you get up in the morning and you just wrestle with God? I don't want to pray. I don't want to do anything. That's more so when you need to be on your knees with God. So a 21st century context, in light of how we're connected, concerned, committed, and we're compassionate, about our relationship with God looks like this. The Reverend Timothy Wright says this, he says, but I was glad when they said to me, let us come in to the house of the Lord. Let me, let me give you the cure, let me give you the cure if you're perturbed this morning. First Peter 5, 6, 7 says, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time Casting all your what? 
perturb your anxiety on him because he cares. You, you know, when you, get, when you get older, elder, you begin to, to, to realize that when mom is gone, when dad is gone, when the children are out of the home, when the dog is sitting there looking at you funny, that all you have to do is cast your cares upon Jesus. You know, sometimes I find myself in my car just crying. Seriously, has anybody ever been there? Because when I look back over my life of how God brought me out of this thing, Perry, I know where I grew up at. Right, I know where, I know that I could have been a statistic. But what God does for us is God points us to what we used to be, to what we've become now by his grace and his might. And what he does is he's looking for people in the last days who's unapologetic about where they come from. You want to know why young people don't come to the church? Two. Because there's too many of us in here. It's too many of us who forgot about how we used to twerk. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm not interested, but see, already know what God has called me to do. And, and, and I am humbled enough to know what and not to say from this pulpit. But trust me, the world is already saying it. So some of us forgot how we used to make it rain in the club. Yeah, we forgot about that stuff. We forgot about what it was like when everything that we used to drink was Budweiser. Because you guys do know that's what the church is filled up of. People who used to do certain things. <laughs> yeah, see, see, you guys are quiet because if, if, you, if you can't feel me, just wiggle your toes, just do something. Because the fact of the matter is, church, that when Christ comes back, all of us are going to have some battle scars. Some battle scars. And it's the battle scars that the world is looking for today. You know why? Because our people don't know the difference between man and woman. Battle scars. Our children, this young, this young, this young lady told me one day, she said, Pastor, she said, you can be so naive. She said, when we go to school as a woman, she said, they're trying to recruit us to become like them. She said, I know what I was created as, but she said, it's hard when people are trying to get you to subjugate your body to what the world looks like. Why is the Seventh-day Adventist church not talking about that? They're right here in our midst. Didn't you guys see the thing that came out of Loma Melinda a couple of weeks ago? The LGBT is having it right there on the Sabbath. Come on, people. We have a work to do. So here's the thing. Jesus begins telling his disciples for this reason. And I believe what Jesus is telling his disciples is what he's telling us today. The critical point is, is that if you want to gain victory in Jesus and benefit from the cure 
That is to stop worrying. We must play by God's rules. And what does God's rules look like? The text provides two remedies. First, it's an invitation. Jesus invites us to cast our cares upon whom? Upon him. In other words, what Christ is simply saying, Ipsy, is that I got this. I can handle this. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can got this. That situation that you're dealing with at home, I got this. I can handle this. Secondly, what does the text say? That we need to humble ourselves before God. In, in, in my dealing with worrying, I've, I've come to the conclusion that, that I must do what I can do and then trust God to do what he can do. And what can God do? Well, first of all, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Secondly, he says, what? Peace be still. Thirdly, he says, in the beginning, God created. So in other words, what he's saying is that if you would just stop and marvel at my words and look at how I've led you in the past, how I'm going to guide you through the future, how I'm going to take you and elevate you in your word, if you would just trust me, then obviously I would be able to do more. I'm a firm believer that your attitude determines your altitude. What are you saying, speaker? Our attitudes have a lot to do with how we live. It really does. You know, people who, who, who I've oftentimes had the privilege to speak before and to teach will tell you, if it's one thing that I cannot stand, elders, I cannot stand pessimistic people. People who cannot see the workings of God. You know how you can go into some facilities and we would sit back and we would oftentimes just argue about the mundane things. And what I've learned is that when you're trying to move forward in Christ, you have to be very careful about your sphere of influence. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, the sphere of influence can wreak, can wreak havoc among those in your own family, those that are most close to you. And that's why when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of these. And I was speaking to a pastor not too long ago, and he was talking about how he was called to a unit that he had to pray for a sick person. And I thought this was so bold, but, but it was interesting. He told, the, he told the individuals in the room, if there's anybody in here who doesn't believe that the Lord can do this for this person, I need you to leave. And, and, and what am I simply saying? When God calls us to do a work, there needs to be nothing but one accord inside of this church. That means, Ipsy, when the pastor is leading, when the vision is there, in order for the vision to be cast, we have to catch up to the vision. Now, I'm not saying don't question if something is out of line, because all of us need to be checked at some point. But when it comes to this thing called unity, there is this thing called unity and this thing called uniformity, and uniformity is what we see in the body. But in order for us to grow and develop, we have to be unity with each other and with God. So when it comes to this attitude, this is what worrying does. Worrying involves negative thoughts, so what we need to learn is how do we counter 
these negative influences with positive thoughts? Well, let me give you an answer. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith, come on Bible readers, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself what? As a ransom for me. So when self is crucified daily, you can believe and trust that God will work it out on your behalf. Let me say that again. When we're in the right, frame, right mind frame of thinking clearly, God will work it out on our behalf. When our attitude is positive, driven, our faith is increased, and our worship is where it needs to be in the body, the enemy can't touch us. He can't because he only has limited power. So the bottom line is that prayer is the blueprint for a meaningful life in Jesus. So it's interesting, when the disciples are gathering around, if you look at the character of the disciples, it's interesting to look at all of their characters. And isn't it amazing who Jesus had surrounding him? He didn't have a lot of perfect people. I'm always taken by that. He called people from fishermen, business background. He called Paul. One of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with, and I was reading this not too long ago, is that Judas was with him. And he knew in his omnipotence what Judas would do. Can you imagine having someone to walk with you, knowing that that person would portray you? Knowing that that person would portray you for those greenbacks, for that mighty dollar. And Christ was still concerned about Judas's heart. Isn't that a wonderful God? Isn't that a wonderful God that when we go off on the deep end, that Christ is still concerned about our hearts? So, so what does that say for us, church family? That means that uh, that person that may not pull his pants up correctly, that individual that may come into our church with the skirt a little too high, the individual who may come in smelling like the stench of reefer, God is concerned about their hearts. And it's amazing when we think about this God, we think about how unworried he is, but yet how worried we can be. So, so it's amazing. The, the, the blueprint for a life in Jesus is simply a blueprint of prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says this. It says, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, it says, let your requests be known unto God. You know, I, um, I, have been, I have been trying to do better with my health. And, and sometimes, church family, it, it, gets, it gets difficult because you're so used to doing what you want to do. And I've been, I've been I'm, I'm up in the morning, even when I came here, before I came here this morning, got up, showered, and I rode my bike around the community. 
And what the Lord is, is, is constantly telling me is that you have to stop thinking that you have all the answers. And I think that we've been on this earth so long that sometimes we really believe that we have the antidote for everything. But Christ has the antidote. And going back to the beginning of Matthew 6.25, for this reason. So for this reason, he comes over in chapter 11 and he says, come to me, all who are wearied and heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. <laughs> Let me suggest to you what we need to rest from. First of all, we need to rest from this here. These minds, these minds of ours just go and go and go and go. That means, get this, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we need to turn off the nightly news. We need to stop reading the editorial columns. We need to stop messing with all the internet gossip and the Facebook foolishness. We need to turn off the minds. Philippians says, declare, let this mind in you, which was in Christ, also what? Be in us. Jesus' mind was focused, his mind was fashioned, fashioned, and it was fixated upon spiritual things. Jesus' mind was focused, it was fashioned, and fixated among spiritual things. When we find ourselves worrying and down, we need to learn how to rebuff the devil by saying, I don't have a clue how, but I have been given the promise that Jesus is in control. And secondly, our emotions need to be at ease from being easily upset at all times. Proverbs 16.32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Worry or worship. Let me say it again, worry or worship. To worship is to praise God in the beauty of his holiness. To worry on the contrary is to distrust God, distrust God in the light of his divinity. So what am I saying? What am I saying? Simply this, you and I are gonna have some times moving forward. There will be some people upon us that will leave this life, that will stir us. There will be those mountain high, those mountaintop highs and those valley lows. As my musicians is playing, as my musicians are playing. There will be the opportunity for us to be able to call upon Jesus in those times of our needs. And what I've learned, ladies and gentlemen, is this, is that in those times of, of being perturbed, we have to remember that Jesus has never forsaken us. In those times where we feel useless, we always have to understand that there is value in God's people. In those times where the future does not necessarily align up with where we think we're going or where we think we should be. We have to remember Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah 29, 11. 
where he simply says, I know your future. What we have to realize, young people, is that God needs your strength. He needs your ingenuity. He needs your body. So many of our churches are empty because we're empty in here. There needs to be a refill. There needs to be a replenishing. The Bible talks about Christ being our redeemer. For you, elder, our goel. He wants to redeem us from ourselves back into the fold of God. But the only way that you and I can do it is to be able to cast our cares upon him. I'm not naive this morning. I know somebody under the utterance of my voice is worried about something. But you know what I've been, you know what I'm learning, Ipsy, is that worrying doesn't add years to our lives. As a matter of fact, what worrying does is that it lessens because we end up on a gurney somewhere where we don't want to be. So what, the, what I'm simply saying is that trust God. I'm in a time of my life right now, Elder, you wouldn't know that. Going through some stuff, man. Some personal stuff. And I'm saying to myself, what is it which you have me to do in these last days? How am I to listen to you with all of this noise around me? When there's so many of us dying. If they're not killing us, we're killing us. How do we navigate this? How do we trust God? Well, it's simple. You have to believe without seeing. You have to trust even when the trust doesn't seem like it's available. You have to walk by sight and faith. You have to put it at the feet of Jesus just because your bank account may be swell in the twinkling of an eye. It can be all gone. You have to put your trust in the God of heaven. And why do we trust in the God of heaven? Because at the end of it all, he wants to see us saved. I want to open up the doors of the church this afternoon. And you know, church family, we don't have to struggle alone. That's one thing that I've learned. Sometimes we feel that we can do this thing all by ourselves, without anyone, without our family members. But I cannot remind you that at the beginning of creation, he made male and female. And then as Adam was in the Garden of Eden, Adam looked around and he noticed that it was only him and all the animals. There wasn't a helpmate. In other words, God made us to be sociable beings. We need each other. And sometimes we act like as if we don't. That's why Hebrews says that we do not forsake the fellowship of coming to church. We need each other. I just want to see by a show of hands and then I'm going to pray. Is there anybody in here who feels perturbed? Worried about something this afternoon? Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? Will you trust Jesus this morning? Will you trust him and allow him to open up your heart where he can come in and allow his presence to be with you? Father God, 
you have seen the hands of your people wrestling with ourselves and trying the best that we can to give it all to you. For this reason, we're praying that we would trust you more. For this reason, we're praying that the hands that went up will trust you in a way that they've never trusted you before. For this reason, we know that we came here not to be entertained, but for you to give us the antidote for what we need to do. Father God, the time is now for us to realize that time is not on our side. As soon as we leave this church, we don't know if we can make it home. And that's why we have to realize that our calling has to be an election sure. But Father God, we know that we oftentimes hear that old cliche over and over and over again that we're living in the last days. But what does that really mean? It simply means that we need to be more inclined to who you are. We need to be more studied, not just to have one up on somebody, but to be able to understand that there is a deception among God's people. Internally and externally, we need to be prepared. Father God, Daniel reminds us in chapter 12 that Michael will stand up. But Michael can only stand up when we stand up for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Father God, there may be someone that may be perturbed this afternoon. I just ask, Father God, that you would acknowledge those hands. I don't know and I don't need to know because I have my own worries. But the Bible says, come unto thee, come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. Father God, we need that rest. This world is wrapping up ever before us rapidly. Global warming, Ukraine issues, drone attacks, synagogue foolishness, all of it is right before us. And what you're soon to do is you're coming to break the backbone of this evil. So Father God, as we trust in you, May we be ever for reminded that you have not left us nor forsaken us. We thank you so much, Father God, for this time of being here today. For this is our prayer. Let Ypsilanti simply say, Amen. Amen.